Hey, hello, and welcome to the Football Weekend Podcast. This is episode one. Every Friday, we'll talk over the biggest match of the weekend ahead with an even bigger guest. There are a slew of great matches this weekend, whether it's Arsenal-Newcastle or Liverpool against Chelsea in the League Cup Final, or whatever the energy drink is that it's named after these days. You can get previews of all of those in the Football Weekend newsletter this week on this Friday morning, but I thought it would be way more fun to kick things off with perhaps the world's most explosive and, at times, dangerous game. It's River Plate against Boca Juniors. It's El Superclasico. It's a derby game down in Buenos Aires that has become deeply tied up in politics and the Argentine economy and perhaps even the criminal underworld. Uh, When these two met in a cup final in 2018, the authorities deployed 2,200 police officers and set up two dozen medical outposts around the stadium in preparation. It was the biggest emergency response prep in the history of Argentina. Or as one paper in Buenos Aires put it, it's not a war zone, it's the end of the world. Here to help me illustrate the stakes of this match is Nico Cantor, a panelist on Morning Footy on the CBS Sports Galazzo Network and the host of The Galazzo Show, which is a whip-around program in the style of NFL Red Zone for CBS's coverage of the Champions League and the Europa League. Uh, Nico, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm especially glad to have you because you yourself are a Boca Juniors fan. Yeah, Jack, thanks for having me and uh, very excited to talk some Super Clásico. Well, because it's so you know personal for you, I was wondering if you have a first memory of this match, whether you were going to La Bombonera, uh, where the, the home stadium of Boca Juniors, or watching on TV. Uh, what what comes to mind when you when you think back to first memories of the Super Classico? Yeah, so let me just give you a little bit of history on my fandom with Boca. Uh, my, my dad is uh, fervent. Boca Juniors fan. He's, you know, that's the household I grew up in. It's a very uh, pro Boca Juniors uh, household. And I was just brought up supporting Boca, but it coincidentally happened during Boca's greatest ever era. So imagine growing up in a Manchester City household during the Pep Guardiola years. It kind of just solidifies your fandom you think that your club team is the greatest club in the world. And back then, arguably, Boca was one of the best teams, if not the best team in the world. They won Intercontinental Cups against Real Madrid, against AC Milan, went toe-to-toe against Bayern Munich. Um, It was a glorious era where Boca was not only winning... uh, Cup finals, Copa Libertadores finals, but then beating Europe's best, the Champions League winners. Um, so for South America, those types of wins are are, are massive. It, it Honestly, it doesn't happen that much anymore, and we don't have to delve into the specifics of, of all of that. Um, but it, it was pretty significant back in the day. I remember my, my, like a core memory for me really was in the 2004 Copa Libertadores semifinal, Boca and River were drawn. Back in the day, two teams from the same country couldn't play in the Copa Libertadores final. Um, So they would 
pair teams from the same country in the semifinal. It just so happened to, to be the case. So Boca and River had to play the semifinal against each other. And back in the day when away fans uh, were allowed to go to the stadium, it was kind of a novelty that the country, the, the organizing committees of, of either South America or Argentina said, for, said hey, no away fans to these games. And Carlos Tevez, who at that time, I was like about 11, 10 years old. At that time, uh, my idol growing up scored and scored and got a red card uh, because he, he took off his shirt and, and provoked the fans with uh, a, a pejorative gesture that uh, it was flapping his arms like a chicken. And as our, our Boca fans, despectively called River fans, gallinas, um, which means chicken, um, he scored the, the tying goal to send the game into penalty kicks, gets a red card, and Boca ended up winning on penalty kicks and going to the Copa Libertadores final. So for me, that really is a core memory. And, and that's just one example of hundreds that any fan can think of on, on, on either side. And it's just charged with emotion if you just ask anybody. So um, pretty, pretty dramatic when both of these teams face each other. I wanted to ask about, you know, the experience of going to the match itself and, you know, the the experience of going to La Bombonera or if you've been to El Monumental, I know, as you say, it's more difficult to do as a Boca fan these days. You'd probably have to go undercover. Um, but what is the feeling in the streets going up there or even in the days leading up, as I understand it, the the energy that pervades Buenos Aires? Yeah, so I've been personally. I've been to two super classicos, obviously both in in the Bombonera. I, I grew up in Miami, um, so I was born and raised in Miami, actually. So everything surrounding Argentine football, it would it would always be at a distance. Nonetheless, culturally, when you're surrounded by Argentines, fun fact: most of my family are River fans. So uh, it, it was kind of uh, tense. In, in the family dynamic any time that these two teams would play each other. Um, but in the city, the week leading up to the game, uh, everything is kind of put on pause. All the TV networks, even if they're not sports networks, are talking about the game. Um, and it's it, it becomes the focus of national attention, really. Uh, the, the, the specific thing about this week, though, given the format of the tournament that's being played, it's not it's not the league yet. It's the League Cup, which has a, has a strange format. They've been doing this League Cup for a couple of years now. It's it's all the teams in the first division are split into two groups and they do it in the way that your rival is in the other group and then the top two teams of each group go into a quarter sorry the top four teams of each group go into a quarterfinal and they play against each other but there's one week where there's cross group play um and it's this week it's a rivalry week everybody plays a rival this week so it's kind of like all out madness in argentina it's uh the focus is the primary focus is Boca River, but you have other derbies, which I'm willing to go out on a limb and say they're more dangerous than, than Boca River. They're more mm. spicy, I would say. In Spanish, you use the word picante, and I really like that to describe a, a, a derby like Newell's Old Boys and, and Rosario. You've got Belgrano against Talleres. Um, it is all-out craziness this weekend in Argentina. Nonetheless, everybody really cares about 
Boca, River, I think on the docket, if, if you want to list them by newsworthiness, Boca and River headline every single show. So um, every single newspaper, it'll be front of the, front of the news, front of the paper, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I want to go back to the beginning a little bit of this rivalry. And, you know, both of these clubs were founded in the same neighborhood, La Boca of Buenos Aires, uh, River in 1901, Boca in 1905. Um, what What is that area like? And I know that River moved and, and we'll get to that. But, you know, what is that neighborhood like where they both had their genesis? La Boca is a part of a city of the part of the city. It's La Boca. Boca means mouth in Spanish, and it's the port of Buenos Aires. It's the mouth of uh, the river that boats will come into and drop off cargo or whatever they need to drop off. It, it's the port of, of Buenos Aires, and La Boca has kind of become this vibrant, colorful community. It's more humble than other parts of Buenos Aires. It's not specifically slums, but it's not close to being the affluent part of Buenos Aires, which ironically is where River relocated to. Their, one of their nicknames is Los Millonarios, which means the millionaires. Um, so Boca despectively, is always said to, to be more of either uh, a poor community, an immigrant community, um, and uh, more often than not, that's kind of like the, the cultural representation of what Boca versus Rivet is, nonetheless, uh, this, despite this poor background, maybe more working class background that, that Boca has Boca has become one of the most powerful teams in in Argentina with with a acquisition a, a power of acquisition that is greater than than most of the large majority of teams in in Argentina. But it is a very working class, uh, very vibrant. It's actually a beautiful place to go. Uh, La Boca. It's the buildings are all types of colors. There's you can see people. Um, dancing tango on the streets, uh, people playing pickup uh, soccer wherever you go. Um, it, it is almost now like a tourist hub of of Buenos Aires. So that's that's what it's become. And it's uh, a very bold representation of of what Boca has Boca, the club uh, has become. So River, uh, having been founded there first, moved out to the more affluent Nunez area in 1925. And I, I understand moved one more time, not as far to their current El Monumental, which is sort of adjacent to a leafy suburb. It's a it's a more affluent area. And, and from what I understand, or at least the stereotype, the 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 popular view is that it's a more affluent fan base now for for River Plate. They have the nickname Los Millonarios, which I understand is also because they started spending money in a big way in the 1930s as well and buying players for for fees that had never been seen before. But, you know, how accurate is that, um, that view of things where it is working class, Boca versus more affluent River? Do, do things really break down that way? And do those class conflicts sort of in, help inflame this rivalry or is it still just a footballing rivalry? 
I mean, it definitely is more than anything a footballing rivalry. Don't get me wrong. I know affluent fans uh, that are Boca fans, and I know affluent parts of the community that support River. Um, at this point in history, I think it's less about that and more about the football. But yeah, that is the stereotype of the River fan. If you'll be with me, if you're with me at any moment and you see on my TikTok, you'll get those kind of like funny plays on the stereotype of, of every fan. And obviously it's uh, when they're describing what the River fan is, the bit is that, you know, they, they speak with, with the more northern Buenos Aires accent that's a little bit more posh. Um, and the stereotype of the Boca fan is that uh, they say, oh, he's disgusting, he doesn't shower, goes to the city, smells nasty around the stadium, which at this point in time, a hundred plus years removed from the origins of, of both clubs, it's, it's more of a stereotype and, and less specific because you do have uh, less posh River supporters and you have affluent Boca supporters. It's it's just because both clubs are so big that they kind of just make their way into so many parts of and so many classes of not only Buenos Aires, but of Argentina itself. There's Boca and River fans all over the country, very far away from Buenos Aires. And when they have to play at neutral venues, for example, in the Copa Argentina, the, the Argentine Cup, they'll travel hundreds of kilometers away and they can fill a stadium with fans from certain cities. So um, it's more of a mass movement at this point. And, and that class distinction, although it is there, it, I, I think there, there still is a little bit of that, of that presence and, and, and both fan bases make fun of each other or have a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of banter back and forth. Um, that, 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 that is still there. It's, it's more, uh, more folklore at this point than it is a, a strong representation of, of what the rivalry really is. Yeah, I've seen some reports that as much as, you know, 60 or 70 percent of Argentines would identify with one of the clubs now. It's, it's so um, nationalized, as you say. Uh, it is interesting the the Boca sort of branding, maybe more than anything at this point, is still um, it seems very in touch with the immigrant roots of La Boca neighborhood, specifically Italian immigrants, Genovese immigrants. Uh, they call themselves La Zaneses. I guess you could correct me. Yeah, Shenese in the Argentine pronunciation, which in Genovese means Genovese. Um, and they've done, they've done, an, Boca's very proud of that. Boca's very proud of, of La Boca. Uh, Boca fans themselves, we're, we're proud of those humble roots. And, and, and they, even, even making fun of themselves, uh, they, they kind of just, they, they mention it. They're proud of it. They carry it with a badge of honor. Um, so this self-deprecating classist humor is, is, is part of being, uh, a Boca fan anyway. So they've done an incredible job with, with, with the branding of, of, of the club that way. Yeah. It, it seems sort of intertwined with some of the heroes of Boca too. Um, I think of Carlos Tevez, um, even Maradona who struck such a, you know, profound bond with, uh, Napoli fans because they felt that he was their champion, the working man's champion. Um, and Carlos Tevez, from what I've always read, um, 
it was was seen as a champion of the Argentine working man in a similar way. Is that no coincidence that they both played for Boca and they they both were such heroes in that way? Yeah, I think it's both of their stories are very synonymous with Boca. Nonetheless, it happens throughout Argentina. A lot of these players that come from essentially shanty towns, uh, very impoverished areas. Carlos Tevez grew up in the toughest, one of, if not the toughest slum in Argentina. And, and to kind of dodge your way, literally from bullets and drugs and crime, to be an elite footballer, one of the most winning Argentine soccer players of all time, is nothing short of miraculous and an extraordinary show of perseverance uh, and of personal will and fight uh, that not many from from that area can 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 show. Um, but it's not just Tevez. I mean, Maradona as well. Maradona had to share rooms with his multiple brothers and sisters that would, you know, when it would rain, it would leak and the, the room would get wet. It was tin roofs, uh, tin roofs. So, um, yes, I, I think it, it is very synonymous and, and their story, many Boca fans can identify w with that story. But again, it's uh, especially because they, they, they reached Mount Olympus of, of world football, um, especially Maradona. And, and, you know, we would have to dedicate an entire day's worth of podcast to kind of break down the legacy that, that, that he left in, in Argentina. Um, but, but it does, it happens, it happens everywhere. That's almost the norm in, in, in Argentina. The perseverance that, that these, you know, players show on an elite stage the way that they're able to make it to Europe. And I think that's what separates Argentines, Brazilians, and a lot of South Americans. But I use the example of Argentines and Brazilians because their quality kind of just, it, it's, it separates them from the rest of the pack in South America because they're able to, to become champions at, at any level. Um, it's it's because they have that grit, they have that fight, they have that survival skill that others in a more coddled atmosphere don't have. So, yeah, you mentioned Tevez and Maradona. I think they are great representations of, of not specifically Boca. Uh, yeah, sure, specifically Boca, but uh, it, it speaks more to the, the Argentine footballing experience. Yeah, the... There's an interesting, you know, I saw one thing about the idea that River fans and, and the club itself, they consider, they believe they have a stylistic difference from Boca, even on the pitch. Um, they consider themselves this, playing with style and grace and flair, uh, whereas Boca um, is the gata, the claw, the effort, the sweat. Um, make sure your, you know, your shirt is, is wet with sweat when you leave. It's about passion. It's about heart. As a Boca fan, do you think that there's any truth to those stylistic differences? Because, you know, I think of someone like Juan Roman Riquelme, he, he had all of the style and grace in the world and represented Boca Juniors with distinction. Um, is there that style? Is there, is there a difference in expectation between the two sets of fans in terms of how their teams will play? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on there. Um, and I think 
ironically, Juan Román Riquelme is the great exception to this rule of uh, this rule that you're saying that it's this the energy that the club surrounds itself with um, because Boca is that get stuck in and not only finish the game with your shirt drenched in sweat it better be covered in mud and blood by by the end of the 90 minutes um, I think funny enough the, the and a great example of all of this is Boca getting to the Copa Libertadores final just last year just last November Boca were a bang-on average team. Boca today is a bang-on average team. They're not great. Um, but somehow, Boca is Boca. Boca fans will, will, will constantly say, Esto es Boca! And the way that they say it even becomes more... more they, they, they change it even more with their accent and they start just kind of mutating the esto es boca, which means this is boca, that at, that, at one point it just becomes esto boca! It just becomes a, a, <laughs> a, a crazy scream that is a bunch of just jumbled syllables put together. Um, but that is boca. That's what it is. And this, even if you're not playing well, even if uh, you're not, you know, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Boca finds a way to win. And River, historically, they've shown that they want to wow the crowd with their football. And, and even in recent past, they, they've played extraordinary football. Um, but that doesn't mean that River is going to beat Boca every time. That's not to say that Boca hasn't had moments where they've played extraordinary soccer because they have. Um, you, I don't think you can be as successful as Boca being trash for your entire club history. Uh, regardless, th there is a little bit of truth to that. And Boca, at the weekend, considering their form, is going to have to show a lot of that garra, like you mentioned, uh, a lot of that, that effort, that dedication, that hustle. Um, all the intangibles you can bring to the table, they're going to have to bring. Um, because like I said, it's it's been pretty unimpressive lately, especially with the new manager. We haven't really seen a step forward. River has their problems as well. Uh, it's not like they're high-flying either. But um, I do think there is a truth to to, to that theory of, of what the club, how the club embodies their, their spirit. Uh, and, and it is a little bit of, of that, what you were saying. There, there is an, a nastiness and, and a bitterness to this to this conflict. You think of, uh, you know, River called Boca the Bosteros because, as you you know, you mentioned the roots of the the club are, are in a neighborhood where there was a, a factory nearby, as I understand it, where they manufactured bricks out of out of manure, I think, and so there was a smell around the neighborhood many many years ago that that River fans never forgot, and then of course. Boca fans, they call River Las Galinas, the the chickens. Um, and there's a lot of sort of bitterness and, and you know, pejoratives thrown around. And the, the impression I get from, from researching this is that, you know, fans almost enjoy the other team suffering more than they enjoy winning the game. When, when River were relegated a few years ago, it was almost... The best. Mo I I saw a video, uh, a little documentary where a cab driver who's a Boca fan. It brought him to tears of joy just remembering how they got they got relegated. I mean, is there any truth to that? That that the bitterness almost overcomes the joy of winning at times. 
I kind of sometimes tell my friends that I celebrate River goals against River more than I do goals for Boca. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. A Boca goal in the Copa Libertadores, celebrating that is absolutely priceless when everything's on the line, when the stakes are high. Um, that feeling is probably the epitome of, of joy that you'll feel in a season um, within a 90 minutes without a greater context. Obviously, winning a final is the greatest thing you could do. You could happen, but uh, it, it is an incredible feeling. But when River gets concedes a goal, um, it is quite a happy feeling. And I think vice versa, a River fan will say the same thing about Boca, there is this this underlying hate. I think the the derby has had its issues with with fan violence, but I don't think that should take away. I don't think that should represent the entire rivalry as as a whole. Because in these specific moments of such heightened tension, some something always happens. But honestly, I think there's just a tiny group of imbeciles that that can't that that allow the rivalry to go beyond the field and that's what makes headlines everywhere um and then south americans are called savages they shouldn't be hosting world cups look how dangerous it is um and and i just want to turn the finger and point it towards towards europe because it happens in in europe just like it happens in, in South America. We've seen it in, in the south of France. We've seen it in Italy. We've seen it when uh, teams fly across Europe for either Europa League or Champions League, and, and there's have to, there has to be security escorts and stuff like that. So just like it happens in Europe, it, it, it's, it's just a, a group of delinquents that do those things in South America too. Um, there are There's people who are that are Boca fans that have River friends and River friends who have uh, Boca fans. You know, it's, it's even within the, your family. Um, obviously, it's not to take away from the fact that it's extremely heated, um, especially in Argentina where away fans haven't, allowed, haven't been allowed to go to the stadium for what, like more than 10 years at this point. Um, and that, and, and it, the great representation of that is, is that one of Boca's happiest moments of, of their club history is watching River get relegated. Um, and, and funny enough, it, it all comes back. Soccer is, is, is filled with so much karma, and they signed a pact with the devil at that point. It's like, yeah, we'll get relegated in 2011, but guess what? Seven years later, the Phoenix will rise and we'll beat Boca in a Copa Libertadores final. And I think if, if you ask the River fan, hey, s sign this right now, you the worst thing that can happen to a club which is get relegated especially for such a big club in Argentina like River especially when there's a, a relegation format in place to protect the big teams from being relegated because it's not just one season where they had to do poorly it was an averages chart of the last three seasons and not only that they played the promotion and lost it wasn't even direct relegation um and and river fans it was like imagine in 2011 somebody said yeah you're gonna get relegated now but seven years from now you're gonna come back to first division which was very easy for them um the, the very next season and then you're gonna beat boca in the Copa Libertadores final, in, in the epitome of all rivalries, that is that is the ultimate trump card. So you can go back and forth between the two. Um, and Boca fans obviously say, 
your to, to River fans, your worst moment of your club history was rele getting relegated. Our worst moment in club history was losing a final. So um, put that you know on on a balance and see what weighs more. So um, a a everyone has their own little things that that you know their their eggs to put in their own basket. But it it definitely is a rivalry full of passion, full of tension. And you know this, it keeps on writing itself every, with every edition. Yeah, you mentioned that there's plenty of uh, you know issues with hooliganism, particularly in, in English football in the '80s and '90s. The firms were way out of control. Uh, you see some problems with the ultras um, in Italy and beyond. Uh, but talk to me a bit about the Baras Bravas because while you know they are a, a fan group and an ultras group. Um, at least they seem to have similarities. They also seem different in that they have significant political power, it seems like, both within the fan base and in terms of influencing the how the club is run by organizing fans. But even from what I've seen, it goes almost beyond where that, you know, people take their cues on how to vote in in real political elections from these fan leaders. Uh, how do the Barras Bravas fit in uh, to these fan coalitions and this ecosystem? Yeah, it's extraordinarily organized. Um, and we need to start by saying that unlike most of Europe, no one owns clubs in Argentina. They're legitimate clubs with club members that have a very important say on how things are done, their voice matters, they elect the president who runs the club, and these Barras Bravas, the hooligans, are club members, and they run the show for for match day, they they help run the show in, in elections, um, and they, they're part, I mean, I don't want to say it straight up but reportedly it's understood that they're part of some either organized crimes there's been investigations that they're not they they're they're part of a narco state in other cities in in buenos aires and they are a a, a pretty heavy hitter in certain communities they they're not to be messed with they're not to be reckoned with whatsoever and they do hold a lot of that political power um within the ecosystem of of argentine football um they've been known to put pressure on on certain players uh by either threatening them um and and when they go abroad you don't you don't want to get involved in that and historically in argentina there's you know that the, the, they they're at odds with with other clubs and and they don't like associating themselves with, with other Barras Bravas. It, it's kind of like like what England was in in before the Premier League came around. Um, but I would say even it, it's been allowed to develop into this much more complex uh, situation politically and culturally, socially, in in Argentina and it's so entangled at the moment that it's it's very difficult it's going to be very difficult to do something 
like England did with the Premier League, where essentially they managed to wipe out the violence and the organized crime um, with with the hooliganism. Um, but in Argentina, the thing is that as a society, I don't know if we're ready to, to give that up. There's this fine line between violence and folklore and and, and going over the top with, with the Barra Bravas. The Argentine public, I think, for the most part, if, if you ask them, if you poll them, they say that they, they like this folklore. The Barra Bravas bring the, the certain, and they say folklore all the time. El folclore del fútbol, el folclore del fútbol argentino. What makes Argentine football great, and, and, it's, and it's massively complex, and it's not easy to get into, but it's completely intertwined in, in the soccer ecosystem. So much so that it'll be very difficult one day if someone wants to to put a plan forward to eradicate the violence and the organized crime and the underworld of of soccer hooliganism in Argentina they'll have an extraordinarily difficult time doing so yeah does this speak to how central football is to life in in Argentina that you know, I know some serious Yankee fans here in New York who hate the Red Sox. I know some serious fans in England who they might even, you know, they might they might go to every away day for Manchester United. They might go to every single match, be the most committed fan. No, you know, the movers and shakers within the fan groups and all of that. But I, it's hard to imagine either of those people, you know, the Yankee fan of the Bronx or or that Man United fan, you know, voting in the parliamentary election based on uh you know their what the leaders of fan groups say i mean that seems to me to 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 say how central football is to argentinian cultural and even political life i mean when a society or a country is not as developed as you mentioned the united states you mentioned england in in your example and it's very difficult for sport not to become a front runner in what the layman has in in their list of important social activities soccer is the center of much of argentine society for a lot of people um and especially working class people even middle class people um and and sometimes soccer is is all they have. Um, it's one of the most important things of 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 daily life, um, and it's and it's become like that. It's become part of a, a a big chunk of of the Argentine identity. I mean, you see how it played, how how the World Cup celebration played out after after the winning Qatar. It's it is an essential part of the Argentine identity. Um, not for everyone, obviously, but I think you see how much of a hold soccer has in Argentina because I know people, Argentines, that don't really like soccer but were brought to tears because Argentina won the World Cup um, and, and that's the national team. People feel so proud about their, for their club, uh, for, for their club when they go abroad and play international tournaments. It, it, it is liking soccer, loving soccer is so essential to being Argentine for the most part. 
um, that there's no separating the two. It's it's very strange if you find an Argentine that that doesn't like soccer. Their conversation will probably end up being, "What? You don't like soccer? How come?" Um, everyone has a club. Everybody plays the sport, and there's there's pros and cons to that. There's pros that it's you know you create it, it you create some of the, the the best young talent in the world that you're able to export to Europe, and and the cons is that it, that it produces like we've been discussing these kind of nasty representations of societies where where hooliganism can go to extremes, can influence elections, can become intertwined with drug trade, can become intertwined with with politics, can become intertwined with, with society and culture. Um, so Argentina constantly, especially with the state of the country, kind of toes this very fine line that has kind of become unique in world football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that uh, Copa Libertadores final in, in 2018, which was sort of biblical from the start. The, the first mm-hmm. leg was... Can, can we skip this part of the interview? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that was... It was a traumatic, uh, traumatic ending. I mean, the first leg was delayed because of a biblical thunderstorm and flooding. And then, you know, the second leg was uh ended up being suspended and moved to Madrid after the Boca bus was was attacked on the way to El Monumental for the for the second leg um I I watched a, a mini documentary about it and one of the cab driver was a Boca fan and he start, he started to wonder aloud to uh, on camera you know is this all worth it or have have people lost sight of of you know that football is supposed to be a release or or it's supposed to be a, a break from the the problems in in our society and in people's lives i mean in the lead up to that one what one uh you you i believe you when you say that uh, boca fans and river uh, fans can be friends but one guy burned his friend's house down in the, in the lead up in the lead up to that final because it was so massive because it was as the paper said the end of the world it could be you know after that, it was like the Big Bang, some some people said. And after that, the, the country would be reborn in a new way. Um, at some point, is it too much? Is, is it too much how passionate people are? Or is this inevitable and, and worth it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's too much. I, I think it was too much to handle for the Argentine, just given everything we've, we've talked up to this point. Pinning Boca and River in a Copa Libertadores final, it's like there, there is no bigger game than that. And I couldn't imagine from a social and cultural standpoint what the aftermath was going to look like. I couldn't fathom what it was going to be leading up to that game. Um, and... Maybe I didn't want to because, you know, it was either like soccer being a zero sum sport. It's it can produce these moments. And this is like the prime example of glory, like the most the ultimate glory higher than Mount Olympus and the worst pit of hell. It, it, it That game was was just horrific the horrific i the worst 
I've ever, the worst feelings I've ever experienced watching a soccer game, even when at times when Boca was winning, was was that final. Um, I don't know if I, if I would want to experience it again as a fan. If you gave me revenge and you said, hey, you guys get redemption. You play River again in Copa Libertadores final. I'd be like, you know, I'd rather face them on a way to a final because I, it's it's too much to handle. It's it's Argentines devote too much of their personal energy t- to be able to handle that. Um, and I don't know if it's too much. I think that's what Argentines are all about. That's what I love about being Argentine. And and I think if you pit any rivals of Barcelona played Real Madrid in the Champions League final. I think you would get a lot of what you saw in in the Boca River Copa Libertadores final. Um, that's that's the nature of the beast. And sometimes in Argentina, in in societies that aren't as developed as the first world, like many places in Europe, like the United States, you know, you can have a thousand Lakers Celtics. And it'll never come to what a Copa Libertadores final uh, comes to, but it's a different it's it's a different beast. The United Sports in the United States is a completely different beast, and there's too many nuances that separate what Argentine football is as in as compared to to the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean it does it hardly even compares. But I think I'm an Arsenal fan, and I think about facing Tottenham in the Champions League final, and it is just sheer terror. <laughs> the thought of the stakes of what of what could happen, and it's not even on the same level. Um, I do want to get to this weekend's game uh, because I've been sort of fascinated the last two seasons. As you got at earlier, it's been sort of an indifferent, um, you know, a, a mediocre Boca, at least in the league, even though they went, as you said, to the Copa Libertadores final. They've been sort of nothing to write home about domestically. River Plate have have sort of seized the initiative, although, you know, maybe this season not quite firing the way they were last. I mean, what are your expectations for this game? Um, You know, as you touched on it, it's a sort of a unique circumstance with the format of this competition that they're currently in. But, you know, what what do you expect to see? Do you do you expect to see Boca just find a way to claw claw this out and, and sweat through it? Boca has to find a way. There's almost no excuse, and I think you're spot on in your assessment. Boca hasn't been anything to write home about. They've been bang on average. I would even say subpar. They're an average Argentine team in one of the worst eras of Argentine football. The quality is so poor. Um, Boca, Boca's. I, I, I sit down every weekend to watch Boca, and and it it hurts me. How I, 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 my stomach churns. It is frustrating to watch because Boca hasn't been good in a really long time. And you see Edinson Cavani play, who is one of the top active goal scorers in the world, in world football, and he can't even put a header on target. Um, there, there's a lot wrong with the way that Boca is heading. Having said all of this, Boca still has a chance. Boca will always have a chance in, in the Super Clásico. Will Boca win Copa de la Liga? Will Boca win the league? Will Boca win the Copa Sudamericana? I don't think so. Do they have to? Absolutely, they must. Um, but that's <laughs> just the current situation of the club. River, on the other hand, yes, they've recently won the league. 
uh, halfway through the season last year in 2023 um, with Martin de Michelis, who's the successor of Marcelo Gallardo at River, who is was the greatest manager in River history. River is coming off that their greatest era of all time. And Martin de Michelis, former Bayern Munich, former Manchester City, and Argentine International, is now managing the club. But there are reports that he's at odds with a lot of the players, that the dressing room doesn't follow suit. He has more of a European mentality that he brings to, to River. That, you know, it doesn't really resonate with with a lot of the locker room reportedly. So there's internal struggles there, and sometimes they manifest themselves onto the field. Uh, nonetheless, they, they've picked up wins here or there. At the Monumental just this weekend, they were down 1-0 to Banfield, which isn't specifically a, a, a great team, and they equalized in the 90th minute um, to lead into into the, the Super Clásico against Boca. So it should be, it really should be a fun one because not, neither team is, is at their height um, and there's a lot of proving that needs to be done. Boca has a new manager. Boca's manager that took them to the final of the Copa Libertadores after losing to Fluminense resigned and there's this new manager, Diego Martinez, who's pretty much an unproven coach on the biggest stage of South American football and he needs to pick up signature wins. And there's a lot of young players too for, for Boca. I mean, um, that have just come back, for example, from the U23s, um, the South American U23s, in which Argentina qualified to uh, the Olympic Games, that maybe could have an impact um, in, in a Superclásico. And I specifically look at a player like Edinson Cavani, who maybe might not start on the game on Sunday, but if he does play, it, it, can, it can help build up a little legacy that he's going to leave at, at, at Boca because as of now, it's not good um, for, for such an iconic player in world football. I mean, he's one of the best strikers of, of, of our generation and mm -hmm. he hasn't been great at Boca. So if, if he wants to turn the tides, legacies are written um, in, in, in a game like this. And for example, on the other side for River with, with young talent, also coming back from, from the South American U23 tournament, you have a kid like El Diablo, Marco Cheverri. Um, who has already been announced that that Manchester City has bought him and he'll come, um, I believe, at the end of the year or maybe at the end of, of in, in, in June. Um, so he, he's another young talent to watch and he's probably going to get minutes in the Superclásico. And now with the Monumental, the revamped stadium where there's an even greater capacity, the fans are very close, it should really make out for an extraordinary atmosphere. Yeah, I wanted to ask you for sort of a fan's guide. This is certainly on my bucket list to go to La Bombonera or El Monumental. Um, you know, what, what are things to keep in mind when you're traveling down to the game? You hear all kinds of stories about, you know, where you want to go. I'm sort of curious where you want to eat and, and what, are, what are the things that, you know, is there street food that you need to get? Is there a bar near La Bombonera or El Monumental that, that you need to see before the match? I can't really speak so much for River. I mean, I know the area, but I don't know how much street food you get on your way because it is in a, in a more posh area of the city. It's, it's you know, it's, it's right behind one of the major roadways of, of Buenos Aires. So you'll probably get there by car, but, you know, I can't really speak too much for... 
for the River Match Day experience. Although one time as I could, I, I did go, but that was so long ago that I don't even remember. So um, for Boca, though, there, there's, there's a bunch of street food at anywhere, really, that you go. Um, there's there's going to be great asado, which is Argentine barbecue. Um, people drinking Fernet with Coke. Fernet is, is an Italian drink that has kind of been claimed by Argentines, whereas... The country of Argentine produces more of that liquor than than Italy does itself, and it's it's kind of become the national drink. You mix it with with Coke, and and it you know you'll you'll have a fun time. Um, <laughs> so it's an, a, any of that experience on this in, in in La Boca especially. It's you know it's it's riddled with these types of street food vendors and and all that experience. There's a lot of people on the streets. You kind of got to walk there. You got to park far and 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 walk close. Um, and walk up up to the stadium. Whereas River, most people, you know, they, they take their cars, there's parking, you know, the, the, the family members that I have go straight into the parking of, 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 of the stadium, whereas the family members that I have that are Boca fans have to park on the street several blocks away. Um, so it's quite an experience, um, and, and I do recommend it to anybody who ever wants to go, uh, to go to La Bombonera. Well, Nika, thank you for your time today. And uh, Paramount Plus will be carrying the game, right? And, and uh, you guys will be covering the uh, the rivalry a bit on the uh, Golazo Network. Yeah, absolutely. So on Golazo Network on on Sunday, you can catch it all. If you have Paramount Plus, Golazo Network's on there, or you can go to cbsports.com and and check out Golazo Network absolutely for free. And and we'll have El Super Clásico. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it was great chatting with you, and I'm looking forward to the game. Yeah, thanks, Jack.